This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Up next, from the Center for Social Innovation at Stanford, a presentation by Adele Martz from General Motors entitled Business Continuity Planning, Improving GM's Risk Profile, from the Conversations Network. Hello, this is Doug Kay, the Executive Director of the Conversations Network, and today I'm excited to bring you another session from the Disruption Management Seminar held at Stanford by the Center for Social Innovation, September 8, 2005. Created by the Stanford Graduate School of Business, the Center for Social Innovation builds and strengthens the capacity of individuals and organizations to develop innovative solutions to social problems. And now, here's our presentation from the Center for Social Innovation. The second session is entitled, When Disaster Strikes, Planning and Managing Emergency Response. My name is Jim Rice. I'm from the MIT Center for Transportation Logistics, and it's truly an honor to be here. Uh, I'm going to start with a quote, and I'd like to know who is the famous person that made this quote. The time to help is before it happens. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Who was that? I know. Lynn Fritz. Lynn Fritz. Okay, so now I know. It's John, isn't it? It's John, isn't it? Oh, Peter, all right. Uh, now I know that at least Peter was the one person who had the ginkgo biloba at break because his memory still works. Yes, indeed, that was Lynn Fritz who said that only moments ago. And I know many of you were trying to be humble and not uh, shout out the answer. But I think Lynn's comment actually starts off uh, this particular session exceptionally well. Because just as Lynn said, Helping occurs before these incidents. And so this session is actually going to profile both uh, an example from the private sector as well from the public sector, how organizations plan to deal with these kinds of disruptions. Um, and I would like to just call your attention to a slide uh, from Leslie's presentation, slide 18 in the Cisco uh, packet. And basically, it shows a matrix that, uh, a two-by-two two matrix that shows on one axis the impact uh, with the high and low, and then the other axis, the probability. And if you think about planning, well, what we saw in the example here that Leslie put forward is a lot of little balls in the top uh, corner here. And this shows a very highly vulnerable situation where there's a high probability of impact and, as well as high consequences of that impact. Well, ideally, what you want to do is not be in that top right-hand corner, all right, because you're highly vulnerable. Now, how do you get out of that? Well, I would argue, and I think that we'll find from our presenters uh, over the course of the, this morning, that uh, planning is a critical role that helps you get out of that highly vulnerable situation. And just as Lynn Fritz no mentioned, the time to help is before it happens. Well, that basically amounts to planning before these occur. Now, it's planning for action prior to the activity, to the incident, and it's planning for the roles and the activities and the tasks that will be carried out throughout the disaster and the relief activities. So with that, I'd like to introduce our first speaker. Our first speaker is Adele Martz from General Motors Corporate Risk Management Group. She's the director of the business continuity planning, and I'm going to turn it over to Adele to share some of the work that GM has done. And uh, just briefly, we've done a fair amount of work 
looking at how firms have responded to disruption. And I'm pleased to say that uh, our work has revealed that Cisco has been very forward-thinking, as well as General Motors Corporation. And I think that we're going to learn an awful lot from our presentation from Adele. Adele? Good. Thank you. tell you today about business continuity planning, which is the program that we have in place to try and make sure that we can be as prepared as possible. Uh, you can imagine this is just one tool in our toolkit for improving our overall risk profile inside the company, and we face just a myriad of risks as a, as a very prominent multinational global company. I'm briefly going to tell you how we got started. The way we define continuity planning, because everyone um, kind of uses the same words, but they mean different things. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about, I think, what has helped us to be successful and some of the challenges we still have ahead of us. We actually have our colleagues in information management at General Motors to thank for business continuity planning because it really started as a result of Y2K. And this was the first time that we actually sat down and had to catalog all of our IT applications and infrastructure, which was a huge undertaking. And that really started to form the foundation. That is probably about the last thing that you would have expected me to say in terms of why we got started. But that actually planted the seed. And we realized from there that we really needed to think more broadly. In fact, enterprise risk management was developing at the same time. And our process um, was remarkably uh, similar to Cisco. And we identified, um, we wanted to do the top 10 risks in the company, but we actually had to go with 11 because we, we couldn't narrow it down quite that much. And on that list of risks is everything from what would we do if we were to have a downgrade of our credit rating, which we have had happen. What were we going to do if our legacy costs in healthcare for our retirees spun out of control, which we've had happen. And then also on that list of 11, is business interruption, recognizing that this was a key risk that, if not addressed, could put us out of business. Initially, the group that had responsibility for business continuity planning was in audit services. And initially, this was a very good place. Um, the auditors have a very good understanding of what is risk, what controls can be put in place to mitigate it. Um, they had a global footprint inside a GM. However, you can imagine people like myself coming out to a business unit and saying, hi, I'm here from audit. I'm here to help. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, right. So as a result, we really felt it was very important for us to move and become part of corporate risk management, which is where we are today. One of the major challenges that we face is how do we quantify our risks and make the business case for the type of investments that we should make to be prepared. Let me define business continuity planning. We really focus on time-sensitive, high-impact processes. And I really want to emphasize the importance of time sensitivity. One of the biggest challenges in a huge company like GM is just figuring out what really is important? What is going to be that disruptor that could put us out of business? And it's a very, very long list. The other thing that we've added to our definition here in the last 
year or so is this emphasis on profitability. What would disrupt our financial operations? As a result, we kind of learned two things. First of all, when we go out to a, a business unit and, and try and convince them um, of the importance of continuity planning, we'll say, you know, is anything you're, you're doing important? Well, of course, we get one or two answers. We get, well, yes, of course, everything I do is important. And, you know, like if I say no to this answer, like, will my job go away? Or the second thing that happens is if you've been around GM a while, you go, ooh, if I say yes to this, I'm going to have to do more work. I'm going to have to plan. Oh, my gosh. So we've really taken um, a lot of effort to develop some tools to help us really be able to assess our risk appropriately. We think about business continuity planning as a three-legged stool, and it is absolutely critical that all three legs of these stool be in place. The first, and we've heard it several times here today, and this is absolutely ingrained inside our culture at GM, emergency response planning, the safety and security of people. It can never, ever be compromised. Um, that sets the tone inside our company. We never start thinking about how to uh, resume operations before we know that all our people are safe as well as their families. It's also important to realize that just as we've had to do here in Katrina where we've had people that we've had to evacuate out of New Orleans, you can't expect them to be worrying about business when their families have lost their homes, this type of thing. So you really need to have bench strength when you think about the continuity of your operations. The second leg of the stool is business resumption planning or BRP. This is, again, identifying those critical processes and the people that perform them and knowing how you would restart, perhaps even at an alternate site, without the, the tools that you're used to having. And then the third piece, which is maybe where I, I should have started, is disaster recovery planning, thanks to our colleagues, again, in information uh, technology who really began this. And someone asked a question earlier about ITEL. We're actually um, have moved to that in the last year, and hence another acronym, Service Continuity Management, has come into play to describe how all of this will work together. I actually think it is a much better description than disaster recovery planning. But again, the key at General Motors is that all three components must be in place, and that's the seat of the stool or business continuity planning. I will tell you it has been a real challenge. Um, my job is to make sure that all three of these legs work together in every part of the company, um, and it takes some, some real coordination to make sure that that takes place. Just a little bit more about what do those three legs mean. In emergency response planning, this is, again, making sure that we have, and the keyword is common process to assure the safety of people, the evacuation, the take cover. I was very struck by the earlier comments about the importance of being able to respond locally. We have the same process in every single location. We practice it every single year. So whether I'm in a GM facility in the United States or over in our Asia-Pacific region, the process is the same. We also leverage this in a very important way because we bring many people into the activation process. 
ahead of time, we are always very clear about who the decision maker will be, the person who will call the shots, and then who the team leader will be, which is the person who rolls up their sleeves and actually then carries out those decisions that are made. We practice that every single year with those teams. And again, the importance of having alternates. So there's not just one decision maker. We know who that person's backup is. And in our most extremely critical operations, we will actually have three people who we know can be brought in to make, uh, take charge of that situation. A very interesting thing is, and someone talked about, um, it seems like uh, disasters always happen around Christmas time and in August. We also have decided the disasters also always happen in the middle of the night or when the key decision maker is on vacation. So we've learned really the importance of emergency communication and this ability to get a hold of people. And it's such a simple thing, but it's so important. Uh, business resumption planning. The real challenge here is to figure out what is important. And we always base this on a worst case analysis. There are a couple different approaches to figuring out you know, what's most important. Some companies take an approach where they try and line up, well, here's the top 10 disasters that we think could happen to us, and how would we respond? At GM, we've really taken a different approach to this. We've really gone deep into our operations and asked the people who perform the work, what would happen if you couldn't do this job for 24 hours, for three days, for a week, two weeks, or greater than two weeks? Because we really feel very strongly that those are the people who know what really is vital to running our operations. And then the third piece is the disaster recovery or service continuity management. The key here is, and we are trying to wrestle control of this from IT onto the business side, because we have a real tension inside our company. IT thinks that they know what's most important, and we have the business who thinks that they know what's most important. So we've had to put together a process where we really align these and make it business-led to say the business unit leader is the one at the end of the day who's responsible for restarting operations. And from that flows what are the critical applications and infrastructure. This diagram really just kind of summarizes our process, starting in the upper uh, left corner here. Again, that light blue box, emergency response. Every single operation uh, throughout General Motors, whether you're in a little rented office building where there's just three or four employees in our GMAC unit, or whether you're in a manufacturing plant with 2,000 employees, we practice every year our safety and security procedures. Then coming down through, the key here in that green box is the business impact assessment. This is the tool that we use to take the subjectivity out of this issue of is what you're doing important or not. And then it's really, you need to think of it as coming down a funnel like this. And this is really hard to do. It's so easy to stand here and say, oh, just come down that funnel and figure out what's important. But that's the key so that you really focus your energy in terms of your business resumption and disaster recovery or IT recovery on those key operations. I get myself in trouble all the time because I get asked, well, how do we, what's kind of the benchmark we should be aiming at? 
And I tell everyone, about 10% of what you do should be down here in this, this vital and critical category. Now, admittedly, some parts of the company are clearly going to have percentages higher than that. In our case, um, material flow to our manufacturing operations, our treasury operations, anything customer-facing. They're going to have much higher percentages of vital and critical activities, and hence more planning to do. I talked in the middle here about the importance of emergency communications. You've got to be able to get a hold of people 24-7. I can tell you, I sat in a meeting with a very senior officer inside of General Motors who was trying to get a hold of one of his direct reports who were located in southeastern Michigan. And it's not unusual for everyone to um, go up north uh, where we all have summer homes or cabins up there. And uh, really, you're out of cell coverage. And so... The person was saying, well, that's why I couldn't be called, because, you know, I was out of reach, cell phones, and so on and so on. And this is a very senior officer. Looked that person right in the eye and said, it's your responsibility to figure out how I can get a hold of you. He was very clear about that. And that's how seriously this is taken inside our company. And then we have, um, and probably the most important thing that we can do, it's all about continuous testing identifying the gaps, having a process, it's, and it's hard to say, but red is good, and you've got to be able to say that and fill those gaps and can continue to really improve the process. So our keys to success. Um, clearly, if, you know, if someone were to say, what is the most important thing that will make you successful in this effort? Inside of a large company, it is having the support of very senior management, that tone at the top. And that's expressed in many ways. Our very senior leaders participate in tabletop exercises every year to make sure that they, too, understand the process and their role inside the process. And it's also hard in a, in a real emergency to tell a very, very senior leader, you know, maybe you know, this isn't the appropriate role for you to be running the plays here because you're not that close to these operations. Maybe we need you to be dealing with the media instead or, or we need you to be uh, perhaps um, interfacing with your colleagues in other companies at a very high level, for example, during the power outage, those types of things, as opposed to, to down trying to actually restart operations, which they attempted to do. Again, I talked about roles and responsibilities. We actually, inside GM, have a cascade down, and everyone knows their role. We have about 500 people who are really the primary coordinators for the resumption of planning, and they know exactly what to do when a situation occurs. And again, it's because of that constant testing. I can't express the value of having metrics and having status reporting, or this assurance that's given to senior management. And my biggest concern actually is when I get a status report in, and we get these monthly from across the globe, from every operation, so you can imagine this is a lot of data, I really worry when I see reports that are all green. That's the thing that just makes me not sleep at night, because I know those are operations that aren't thinking about it correctly. So I always challenge everyone, um, when I kind of do a, a spot check, I take the ones that are all green. I don't worry about the people who have red because I know that they know that they have work to do, and that's good. But culturally, you know, that's very hard to establish that red is good. And it's very important that it's not just a program where you check the box. Inside of a big company, we have a lot of programs. And although I've gone from 
I'm here from audit and I'm here to help. I'm still, I'm here from corporate and I'm here to help. But we truly believe that we have a competitive advantage with our continuity program because we really can get one step ahead of our competitors. I will give you a very quick example. During the power outage last year, we have a plant in Windsor, Ontario that makes uh, parts that go into almost every GM uh, transmission that is made. And we needed to get those parts across the bridge, of the Detroit River, and, and into the United States. Well, there was no power. It's, Many of you know throughout all of, um, affecting about 50 million people in the um, northeast part of the country. Well, our plant manager over in Windsor had already built a relationship ahead of time with the customs people at the bridge, was able to go in. They had a portable generator, was able to copy the bill of lading because you had to have a copy and you had to have a signature on it and able to, to go over the bridge. We were the only company initially able to ship freight across the bridge. Clearly a competitive advantage. In the power outage, GM did not lose any production in the plants outside of the northeastern part of the country that were not affected by the power outage. It's pretty amazing. But we, we are vigilant. We activate these processes probably um, two, three times a month. And so we know what to do when disaster strikes. We know the most important thing that we have to do after assuring the safety and security of people is to maintain our manufacturing operations. The um, second thing is, is just knowing who to call or cross-functional support and kind of business lingo, if you will. I remember when I took this job three years ago and I was describing to some people what it is I would be doing, they said, how on earth do you sleep at night? Like, it, doesn't that make you nervous that, that you might have to, you know, bring, um, you know, respond to a situation? And after I'd been on the job a few months, I really came to appreciate the real breadth of experience inside the company. And the real key was knowing what people to, to tap. Again, really defining those roles and responsibilities, putting together those cross-functional teams, knowing what's done at the local level, as Mr. Fritz indicated, what's done at a regional level, what's done at our corporate level. We don't need corporate mucking in the local activities if they don't need help. Again, testing that activation process. It's one thing to test it in the middle of the day when everyone's sitting at their desk a whole other thing to test it in the middle of the night. I'd really challenge everyone to make sure um, that you really put that kind of an emphasis on your testing program. Our third key to success um, is really that identification and prioritization of risks. Again, we have a tool that we use. Um, I think it's unique to every company. We look at really five major categories of risk. You would obviously expect operational, financial, safety to be in there, but also legal and regulatory and reputational. So we don't confine ourselves to just one silo as we look at the risk. Again, we realize that some risks just can't be transferred. Insurance can't cover it all. We're not going to have the luxury of having a second assembly plant just sitting, you know, 30 or 40 miles away. And so how do you flex your manufacturing footprint? Um, that's a, a real key to figuring out. And then in risk analysis, as I mentioned, and I have a lot of passion around this, and I have to apologize if there are any consultants in the room, but 
I would really challenge you not to use a consultant to help you identify and prioritize your risk. It's really the people who are performing those functions who know this. But the key is that you know, we started kind of bottom up, asking, if you will, almost every single function, what are your risks, what are your risks? And that was a good process with this BIA tool to help us take out some of that subjectivity. But then we very quickly learned we also had to flip it and come at it top down. What are the really strategic risks? And balance the strategic and the tactical. So, but you can do that inside companies. I really believe this. Um, it is, it's just a process that takes discipline. And the key, if you get nothing else out of my talk, is identify what really is vital and critical. Come down that funnel. That's where you focus. Don't try and take it all on. You will just scatter your efforts. You will get frustrated. You will give up. People will not stay motivated. They will not stay engaged with you. This is my favorite quote. I absolutely believe that an ounce of action is worth a ton of theory. When I got into this job, I actually really didn't know anything about continuity planning. In fact, um, I had worked in a lot of different areas inside the company, which is, I think, why I was tapped to, to be in this position. And I was really very reluctant to take it on because, you know, this would be something completely new. And it was really my daughter who said to me, but mom, you are perfect for this. You are always worrying about what can go wrong and make sure that that doesn't happen. So with that vote of confidence, which, by the way, I used that in the interview for the position. So I don't know whether I'd recommend it or not. But, you know, the first thing I did was start reading like crazy about uh, and benchmarking with other companies. But, you know, the theory is very good. But it's that discipline of putting it into action that makes a difference. And I know my boss kind of worries when I get out and I do talks. He's saying, you know, we really think of business continuity planning is a competitive advantage and, you know, like, don't give away our secrets. And I'm like, no, no, it isn't even possible to do that because the secret is the discipline of actually doing it day in, day out, keeping it up to date and keeping it tested. I said, that's, that's the key to success. So I don't know if he sleeps a little better at night now after I told him that, but I really and truly believe that. And it is, it's all about establishing and leveraging relationships ahead of time. Um, I'll give you two very quick examples here. Um, with our IT uh, colleagues, when I got into this job, when we said the word vital, it meant one thing to the IT group, and it meant something completely to the business units. Same thing on the words critical and so on. I, it was unbelievable. It was also unbelievable, but we made it. It took a year to get that all straightened out. So now we all speak the same language. So um, that has gone a long way toward making us, again, focus on what are the things that we need to be most concerned about. Um, I talked a little bit about audit, but auditors can be your friend. And we use them very effectively. Um, in fact, we take two different approaches. Um, one approach is we let them go out and audit, and we kind of give them a few hints ahead of time about what we'd like them to look at in terms of really assessing the um, validity of the continuity plans out there. Or we've kind of changed our tact here recently. And now we're getting a copy of those audit plans ahead of time. And we're going out to the business units and we're saying, hey, can we sit down? Let's work with you ahead of the auditors coming in. Let's look at your plans. Let's see if we can give you some help. But I hate to admit it. It is you know, a little bit of the carrot and the stick that you have to use as well. 
Um, we take on projects for the common good. Inside a company, um, an individual business unit, it's tough to take on something like emergency notification. This is how do you get a hold of people in the middle of the night. Um, we took on the project of getting a completely automated solution to this. This made us a hero to the business units. Gave us a lot of credibility, one less thing that they had to worry about. And obviously a very important part of the process. Um, manufacturing. Um, this is an area where we think that we really do have a competitive advantage. It's something when we benchmarked where we really found other companies hadn't started to address this. And what we are doing is, in each of our plants, really figuring out what is the equipment that is truly long lead time, that's unique to GM, that is something we cannot very quickly replace or work around. And as we hone that list and get better and better at understanding those pinch points and what alternatives we can then put in place, that's where we think we have the competitive advantage. This is how we're trying to sell continuity planning when we're asked, you know, tell us why should we give you budget for this. Um, in the um, material supply area, we have become very sophisticated in terms of our ability to um, track an incoming storm. For example, with Katrina, we knew two to three days ahead of time what the possible landfall points were. We were able to, uh, we have all of our tier one suppliers uh, mapped uh, by latitude and longitude, so we knew the scope of what the impact could be. We also um, have the ability now to know of those suppliers which ones are sole source or which ones have the most critical parts that they are supplying us. Because we have, quote, the luxury of a couple day lead time, we will air freight out of an area that we think will be affected every piece of material that's on the ground so that we can keep our manufacturing operations running. This has been just an incredible amount of work. If you can imagine the number of parts that we track, we update this quarterly because our production schedules change, but this has really been a key to success. Again, it's been the discipline of getting down into that detail and doing this. Testing, um, absolutely critical. We use tabletop exercises, and we continue to enhance them every single year. Um, in our assembly plants, uh, last year we started when we do a tabletop, we bring in the local fire department, the police department, and they respond in the exercise right along with us. They know what our facility looks like. They met the people face to face. Um, we understand the incident command process and how it works and how we integrate into it. We know what responsibilities they have. They know what support they can get from us. This year, we've pushed those tabletops. We used to end after the first 24 hours when we, you know, at the end of the scenario, we knew people were safe and secure. We now push it. What happens in the second day, third day, the first week? And one of the things that we are um, running a pilot on is we're starting to do this with our major suppliers and include them in our tabletop exercise as well as test their capability. 
Here's an example of um, a tabletop that we ran just recently here in a manufacturing plant. We had a plane that crashed through the roof in our scenario here and right into the middle of the plant. Oh, we just happened to take out the most important welding equipment in that plant. And oh, by the way, it just happened to have a six-month lead time because it came from Germany. And we asked the plant manager, what are you going to do about that? Um, equally important, um, I'll just spend just a minute on reputational risk. And you're probably wondering, why are we doing scenarios around hydrogen and fuel cells? Well, this is a very, very important part of our advanced technology at General Motors. And we are spending um, billions of dollars developing um, cars and trucks that will use fuel cells and will be commercially viable. We are very concerned that if there should be a major accident, be it with a GM test vehicle or a competitor's test vehicle, or at a hydrogen refueling station like Shell just opened in Washington, D.C., that the general public could completely lose um, confidence in the hydrogen economy. So we also run table tech top exercises like this one, where we look at how would we respond? How would we work with Shell in this example? And we had them as our partners in this exercise. Again, not addressing only our operational risks, but also our reputational ones. And then making sure you have a robust lessons learned process. We have our GMNA president who, in North America, after the power outage, the first thing he did was get from his direct reports what were all the things that could have gone better. Um, we had a list of 11 items. We're just actually finally finishing up a few of those here in the next month or two where we had to make some major infrastructure changes. We also look at our competitors and learn from them. You might remember Ford Firestone a while back. Um, what we really learned is you don't want two companies pointing at each other. We also learned what happens when, for the first time, customers look at their vehicles and they actually look at what kind of tires are on them. Our GM customers wanted the same kind of assurance that Ford customers wanted, that their tires were safe. We needed to be able to mobilize and to do that. So in summary here, at General Motors, we have very strong commitment from our senior leadership. And that has been our key in terms of their support and participation, be it from tabletop exercises or just asking that simple question to a business unit. How prepared are you to respond to a disaster? Um, again, coming down that funnel and identifying and prioritizing those most important risks so you make sure you're really working on the right thing. And then continuing to enhance. We really took our experience from operations and financial services and applied it to manufacturing. Again, we're going to look at the whole supply chain, begin to work with our suppliers as well. And then it really needs to be embedded into the culture. It can't just be, you know, the program of the month or anything like this. You have to make sure that people understand, you know, the, the awareness, the training has to be ongoing. And then finally, as I said before, implementation is the key. And that's really where you get the competitive advantage. And, you know, the thing that, that we look for are people who really understand the whole business and can identify those risks, not just in the silo. Thank you. Thank you very much, Adele. I have, uh, before we open it up to the group, I'd like to ask just a couple of questions for you. 
Could you just take a few moments and talk a little bit about the specifics of how your preparation for Katrina worked out? What are the things you moved out? You said you had a, you know, this quote unquote luxury of a couple of days, but say a little more about how the planning panned out for your operations. We have um, in our global security operations 24-7 uh, monitoring of all um, weather-related situations. And so we track storms well before they even become, you know, uh, if they're even just a blip, if you will, um, recognizing that, you know, they could have very serious implications. So we were able to, we plotted, actually I think it was three different possible landfall points uh, for um, Katrina. We knew that we had an assembly plant um, just northwest of New Orleans, and so you know we immediately put that plant on alert so that they would know. Um, they had practiced. We checked immediately the last time that they had practiced their evacuation um, uh, procedures. We then plotted, as I mentioned, all of the suppliers tier one, and in that we had four or five who we knew were sole source. We uh, working through our logistics department, had already prearranged to air freight out um, all the parts that we could. We notified all our dealers in the area. We asked them to move their inventory to higher ground if possible. Um, you know, in the case of the dealers, you know, they are independent business units, so they, you know, this is just advice that we give them versus we have um, more um, control that we can exercise over our own facilities. Um, we were able to, we had in our GMAC operations, we knew that we had um, six people in the New Orleans area. We evacuated them as well as their families um, out well ahead of the storm. And so we were very fortunate at GM to have no uh, loss of life as well as no disruption to production. We had just a one-hour um, disruption of power in our assembly plant, and then we had one major supplier that went out for about a day but is back um, in business. Um, the real key thing that you know we're seeing, and this is more of a manufacturing view than a humanitarian view, but just being able to transport things into the area and to account for uh, in our case, inventory facilities, that type of thing is very, very difficult right now. Fuel is in very short supply. Um, GM has um, contributed $400,000 to the relief effort as well as um, all of the sport utility vehicles and Hummers that can be utilized in the process as well as, um, you know, we continue to work through the Red Cross and then match employee donations. So um, hopefully we can all come together and... Um, make a difference down there. I have one other question. One of the, one of the problems I think that uh, we haven't talked about yet, but I think is a real problem for companies, is uh, making the business case for this. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly from the work that you've shared and the uh, work that was shared by, uh, uh, by Ms. Lamb from Cisco, uh, there's a lot that has to be done. But I think that uh, it was mentioned earlier in the day, you know, no one really gets, no one ever gets uh, rewarded for preventing problems that yeah. never happen. And I think the only uh, you know, study that I'm aware of is one that's been done by a guy named Vinod Sigal from Georgia Tech. He studied glitch, supply chain glitches. And the point there was that whenever there was a supply chain glitch, there was a, a lasting 9% drop in the stock valuation. Yeah. But aside from that, I, you know, I, I understand companies have a challenge with that. So I want to ask you, how do you deal with that? You know, You've, you've made the case for at least qualitatively what needs to be done, but how do you actually run the numbers? Yeah. 
Um, I'd love to tell you that we have hard numbers to support this uh, quantitatively. It's very difficult to do. Um, a lot, I would say we really have two approaches. One is as simple as, and we kind of talked about this earlier, just seize the moment. Every time that there is a major disaster like this, I mean, we'll step back and say, all right, because we were prepared, you know, we did not suffer um, you know, any kind of consequences. And so, um, but that's kind of the soft side of it, admittedly. Um, we have been able to quantify uh, what the impact is of um, having a day of lost production in every single one of our plants. And as you would um, suspect, the real impact doesn't come from our assembly plants being down. It comes from our component plants being down. And that's where you very quickly can find that you will rack up millions of dollars in losses, which then again leads you why it, to understand why it is so important to understand your relationship inside your supply chain and where those key dependencies are. So those are hard numbers that you can bring to bear upon this, but it does say, take some work to understand the relationships and then quantify them. Um, but that does get senior management attention. We also um, at GM have been getting a lot of questions from our insurers lately. Um, about a year ago, you may remember GM um, had a hurricane that hit, in fact, completely wiped away our Oklahoma City assembly plant. And um, it was amazing. It hit at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And just two weeks prior, that plant had practiced their evacuation and take cover drills. Um, there were 1,200 people in the plant at the time, and not one person was hurt when that tornado hit. Um, in fact, the only person that sustained a slight injury was a truck driver making a delivery. And not that you can put a value on a human life, but, um, you know, to look at an event like that and say, you know, this, this is our responsibility. Um, this is key to our culture. We have to do this. So um, you just take it instance like that and you, you point out the importance of being prepared. And I think in that particular instance, the, the roof of the plant was ripped off. It was. So it wasn't um, as though it went nearby. It no, went right no it went right through the plant. We lost a completely brand new paint shop. We lost the uh, powerhouse. We lost half a general assembly. I mean, it literally leveled this plant. I mean, you looked, if I had the photographs here, I mean, cars upside down in the parking lot. I mean, it was, um, it was devastating, um, not only to the plant, but the surrounding community, which, again, my comment about the importance of um, taking care of people's families. And this was a good example where locally they made the initial response in terms of the safety and security, but then we brought in people from other facilities that General Motors has to rebuild that plant as well as support from corporate so those people could focus on their own personal lives. Okay, thanks, Adele. How about a few questions? Anybody have questions? And as we've done before, if you wait for the microphone and then state your name and your organization. Yes, so Charles Schwab. You mentioned testing with suppliers several times. Do you have specific requirements with business continuity on your suppliers? Do you look under the covers into their own business continuity operations? And do you have specific contract provisions around business continuity in your uh, procurement cycles? We do not have specific uh, contract obligations with our suppliers to have business continuity plans. There is a hint of this if they are um, ISO compliant, but it can be interpreted very loosely. This is um, the one area, if you were to ask me, what are we really looking at next? In fact, I would welcome any thoughts from the audience in terms of work that you've done with your suppliers. Um, 
it, it is a bit of a catch-22 in that, um, unfortunately, we continue to try and drive down the price of our parts, and at the same time, we ask the suppliers to do more and more. How do you strike the right balance there? Um, that's why we are starting to work with our key, or key Tier 1 suppliers to do these scenario exercises with them, and we want to expand from that pilot program, but we don't have a complete solution to that, um, but clearly something we are very focused on. Kurt Sunderbrook, Hewlett-Packard. I had noticed, and I thought it was very interesting, that you had done some scenario planning with Shell, and they got very famous for some scenario planning they did, I think it was in the 80s, yep. about uh, a sustained drop in the mm -hmm. price of oil, which leads me back to your top 11 list. And I'm wondering if a sustained increase in the price of oil is on your top 11 list. And I'm less, I'm less concerned from a market standpoint, although I realize that that impact is huge. My own con concern is from a logistics standpoint with a, with a highly at least in our mm -hmm. case, a highly geographically dispersed mm -hmm. supply chain. Do you model that? Oh, definitely. And um, that is one of our top 11 risks, as you would well imagine. And um, unfortunately, there are not any real quick short-term solutions to that risk. Um, I wish that there were. But at the end of the day, it's all about the product portfolio that you have and the technology that is utilized in it. This is precisely why GM is looking at hybrids, fuel cells, um, but admittedly they are in the future. But um, that's um, a risk that we face every day um, that's part of the business. Um, we are hoping that this is a temporary increase in fuel prices currently, but um, clearly a risk that needs to be addressed. Adele, uh, Roger Estrella with Genentech. Um, your business impact analysis tool, is that something that you developed internally or are you using a commercial available tool for that? We developed it internally. Uh, we wanted to have a tool that we felt was simple enough that would um, could be used through with all our business units globally. We found that we wanted to... Um, make sure the risk analysis was done, considering the risks that we felt were most important as we looked at it from this top-down perspective. So we really looked at the various categories of risk and what their impact might be. And then we um, show specific examples to the business units so that they have a good sense of what it is that would really constitute a vital or critical risk. All right, we have time for three questions. And I think two people have microphones and we're going to Randy Sabak, Charles Schwab. Um, the question that you had about whether uh, how to justify the existence of BCP programs, there are a lot of industries now, like the financial holding companies such as us, that are mandated to have disaster recovery plans. And we're also required to make sure that our vendors have recovery plans. Um, just going up and saying, well, we never bothered is not acceptable because of the, uh, the audit guidelines for the regulators. Um, one thing also to think about is Sarbanes-Oxley asks yeah. you about your recoverability for critical systems. Uh, so, I mean, those are a lot of things in your toolkit that you could throw out to justify the existence of a program. And we definitely use that in financial services, um, and that is a very good lever in terms of checking on the uh, robustness of continuity plans. However, in a manufacturing environment, it is a little different, um, and that's really where, you know, we're looking to, to see how we can push a, a little further here to understand exactly the type of assurance that we can get from our suppliers about their ability to continue business. But yes, thank you. And yes, SOX is another um, opportunity. 
<laughs> One question here, and then over to you, Lynn. William Barron's Franklin Templeton Investments, another financial services company. Um, I was curious about your metrics. What are some of the top metrics you try to measure on a monthly or annual basis? We measure um, in really those three legs of the stool in emergency response planning. Um, have you conducted a test? What was the result of the test? Were there any open items? In business resumption planning, we look how many uh, vital or critical processes have been identified. Um, is the linkage in place to the supporting IT applications and infrastructure? Um, have you identified an alternate site if it's necessary? Have you tested from that alternate site? Um, so really trying to get at all aspects of continuity planning. And we look to see that there is a progression. You have on a 12-month rolling window completed all of those tasks related to those items. One last uh, question. Yeah, hi, uh, Adele. Terrific presentation, thanks. Uh, I, I just have two brief uh, observations in light of some of the questions of the, uh, the other speakers. One, uh, a great your, um of your presentation could really act as a reasonable template for local preparedness. Uh, at least 60% of it, uh, we have a lot of very common, you know, things in ours, and I commend you on that. I also would just like to point out that uh, there's been a lot of curiosity about how organizations, uh, local governments can indeed get people interested. Uh, and I, I think the knowledge of, um, of uh, programs as yourself and the money that you spent uh, for business continuity, uh, it would be very hard felt, I think, on many politicians to say if GM is willing to spend X millions of dollars a year on something like this for business continuity, I really wonder why we can't do it for the human beings in your district, Congressman, would be my way of looking at it. <laughs> Okay, thank you. I will you. take that as a compliment. <laughs> Thanks very much, Adele. You've been listening to a presentation from the Disruption Management Seminar produced by the Center for Social Innovation and held at Stanford, California, September 8, 2005. For more practical and provocative ideas, check out the Center's award-winning publication, the Stanford Social Innovation Review at www.ssireview.com. The series producer for this program is Bernadette Clavier. Post-production audio by Bruce Sharp. My name is Doug Kay, and I hope you'll join me next time for another presentation from the Center for Social Innovation. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.